The following message was recorded during the Friends of Israel 2011 National Prophecy Conference season. These meetings were held in Winona Lake, Indiana and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For more audio resources from the Friends of Israel, visit us at foi.org. Well, tonight, uh, heaven and hell, life after death. And you know, in this, these conferences, we generally were talking about prophetic future, prophetic things of nations like Israel or the world or, you know, what's going to happen. But I wanted to talk tonight about prophecy for you, for me. Now, they say there's only two sure things in life, death and taxes. And I would submit to you that uh, really there's only one sure thing in life, and that is taxes. <laughs> because if the rapture happens tonight, right, all of us who are believers, we're not going to die. But for sure, we're being taxed to death, especially in this country, right? But I want to talk to you tonight. There's 13 different words that are used in the Scripture to, de to describe life after death. And I'm going to go through these pretty quick. But the first word we want to look at is the Old Testament term, Sheol. It's used 64 times in the Old Testament. Is the place of the dead, righteous and unrighteous. So Sheol was the grave, the place of the dead. And those scriptures there, Genesis 37, 42, Job 14, Psalm 16, those are scriptures that talk about righteous people going to Sheol. Number 16, Job 24, Psalm 9, those are passages that talk about unrighteous people going to Sheol. The second term is Hades, and there are 10 New Testament references, and Hades basically is the same as the Old Testament term Sheol. Hades is the Greek term. It is also the place of the dead, righteous, and unrighteous. A scripture for the righteous, uh, Acts 2.27, says, uh, talks about Jesus going to Hades, because you will not leave my soul. Now, the King James translates it hell, but actually it's the Greek word Hades, and what he's saying there, all he's saying is, you're not going to leave my soul in the grave. And it's a... It's a passage, it's a scripture uh, giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Of course, he's quoting Psalm 1610. Now, what we're going to see here in a minute is that Jesus did not go to hell after he died on the cross. I have heard some preachers say that when Jesus, after Jesus died on the cross, he went down to hell, and it's, it's, uh, part of that is based on this scripture. But uh, no, uh, Jesus went to the grave, but we're going to see uh, exactly where he went in a minute. And then there's a, a scripture for the unrighteous. So just to sum it up, Sheol, the Old Testament term, Hades, the New Testament term, it is the grave. Both the righteous and unrighteous go there. And there were two compartments. There are two sides to it. There was the righteous side of Sheol or Hades, and then there is the unrighteous side of Sheol or Hades. So if you were on... The righteous side, you were on like what we might call the heaven side. If you were on the unrighteous side, you would have been on uh, what we call the hell side of Hades. Now, the location, believe it or not, the scripture gives the location for Sheol and Hades, and it is the center of the earth. If you have your Bible, you can look in Numbers chapter 16. And Numbers chapter 16, this is the story of Korah and his rebellion against Moses. 
And in Numbers 16.32, it says, And the earth opened his mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into Sheol. The earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. So he says right here that they went down into Sheol. And where was Sheol? It was down under the earth. Look also at uh, Matthew 12:40. Jesus says in Matthew 12:40, "As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth." So the location of Sheol or Hades was under the earth. Now a third term used about the afterlife, heaven and hell, was known as Abraham's bosom. This term is used only one time in the New Testament, and that is in Luke chapter 16. Turn over to uh, your Bible to Luke chapter 16, and a very familiar story of the rich man and Lazarus. And picking it up in verse 19, he says, There was a rich man clothed in purple, the fine linen he fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid his gate full of sores. Look at verse 22. It came to pass, the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, Abraham's bosom, like I said, only used one time in all of Scripture, and that's right here. However, Abraham's bosom was a very common rabbinic term for heaven. So when Lazarus died, he was carried to the righteous side of Sheol or Hades, which would be the heaven side of the grave, known as Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried in Hades. So he's also in Hades, but he is on the unrighteous side because look what happens. Um, He's in torment. He said, lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. So you can see they both went to the same place, but one went to the righteous side, the other went to the unrighteous side of Hades. These were both in the same location, and they were separated by a gulf. As Abraham says there in verse 26, he says, Between you and us there is a great gulf fixed, so that they would pass from here to you cannot, neither can they pass from, uh, to us that would come from there. So Abraham's bosom was the same place as paradise before the, the death of Jesus. So if we look, if we think about the center of the earth, scientists tell us that the, the earth is divided, under the earth is divided up into four parts. So you have the inner and outer core, then the upper and lower mantle. As I was doing a little research for this message, came across a very interesting fact on one of the scientific internet sites. They said, recent discoveries suggest, and by the way, the, the inner core there is approximately 5,700 degrees, which is approximately the, the same temperature as the surface of the sun. Extremely hot. And there are levels of, of heat uh, in the inner core. 
But get this, scientists have recently discovered that the solid inner core itself is composed of layers separated by a transition zone 250 to 400 kilometers thick. Isn't that amazing? Scripture says there was a a transition, there was a, a separation between those two places. And isn't it interesting that scientists have discovered that in the inner core there was a transition zone. Now, I'm not exactly sure if that's what exactly the same place they're talking about, but it is interesting. Interesting coincidence. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, this passage tells us exactly where Jesus went after he died on the cross and went down to Hades or Sheol. Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he, Jesus, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, gave gifts unto men. He that ascended, and the he again is Jesus, when he ascended, and that's the means ascended up into heaven, what is it but that he also descended first, where? Into the lower parts of the earth. What did Jesus say he was going to do in Luke 12? After he died on the cross, he was going to go down into the lower, into the bowels of the earth. That's what Ephesians says after he died on the cross. Okay, he went down into the lower parts of the earth, he that descended is the same also that ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So after Jesus dies on the cross, he goes down into the lower parts of the earth and it says he led captivity captive. And I take it what he, he did there was he took everybody on the righteous side of Hades or Sheol, which was called Abraham's bosom. He took all those people out of there and he ascends with them to heaven. Now, why didn't those people just go up to heaven, up into the third heaven? By the way, now when a believer dies, they don't go down into the you know, center there. They go up straight to heaven, to absent the body present of the Lord. Why didn't they go there before he died on the cross? Well, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us, and other passages in the, in the Scripture, that it, remember before the time of Jesus, when there was a sin, they would bring a sacrifice to the temple, and they would sacrifice this lamb or this bull or this goat. But the blood of those animals could not really take away the sin. It only covered it for a time when the Messiah himself would come and he would be the ultimate sacrifice. And so now when Jesus dies on the cross, his blood does not cover sin. His blood completely expiates it, completely blots it out, completely washes away all of that sin. So now that the atonement has been made, when a person, when a believer dies, they don't go down to the center of the earth to Abraham's bosom. They go straight to heaven. Now, just to sum up, again, do two compartments, Sheol and Paradise, Heaven and hell. And we're going to see it. Actually, there's a couple more. A fourth term about life after death is an Old Testament term, Abaddon, which means destruction. All seven references are negative. It is the unbeliever's side of Sheol or Hades. And it's basically equivalent to what we call hell. A fifth term is the pit, another Old Testament term. It's used 23 times. All are negative, 
And it's the same as Abaddon. It is the unbeliever's side of Sheol or Hades, again, basically equivalent to hell. A sixth term is the abyss. Now, this is an interesting one. There's nine New Testament references to the abyss. In Acts, or I'm sorry, Luke, in Luke 8.31, Jesus is going to cast the demons out of this man. Remember that man, he had all those demons in him, and they plead with Jesus, do not send us to the abyss. The abyss was a temporary holding place for demonic spirits. And we see this in, um, look at Revelation chapter 9, is that the, some of these, these demons will actually be released from the abyss during the tribulation period. Revelation 9, the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from heaven. That star, by the way, was probably an angel. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is the Greek word for the abyss, or, or that is the word abyss uh, in, in the Greek. It's the bottomless pit. He opened the bottomless pit. There rose a smoke out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. The sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke. There came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. Unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. It was commanded they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither the green thing, neither any tree, but only those men who have not the seal of God in their foreheads. It was given that they should not kill, but that they should be tormented five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when he strikes a man. Now look at verse 7, their description of them. The shapes of the locusts were like horses prepared in the battle. On their heads, as it were, crowns like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like hair of women. Their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates as breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots running the battle. They had tails like scorpions. There were stings in their tails. Their uh, power was to hurt men five months. Now, I've heard some commentators say that they think this is describing Apache attack helicopters. Well, I've never seen Apache attack helicopters with hair like women. Uh, usually Apache attack helicopters, uh, when they attack, they kill people. Uh, these things, they torment people. It says that people aren't killed by them. They're, they're tormented. And what these are, these are demonic beings being released from the abyss and this happens uh, probably in the second half of the tribulation period, and they torment men uh, for five months. There's another demonic invasion in verses 13 through 21. Six angels sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Loose the four angels who are bound in the great river Euphrates. The four angels were loosed were prepared for an hour, a day, a month, or a year to slay a third part of men. Now, we have over a, well, about 7 billion people in the world, so if one-third are killed, how many is that? Well, that's well over a billion people who would be killed just from this one plague in the tribulation period. And I always like to put that in perspective for people. In World War II, the greatest war our world has known to this point, over about a, what, a 10, 12-year period, there were approximately 60 million people killed. Here in this one plague, there'll be 20 times that 
in a space of uh, maybe a few days or weeks. And verse 16, John says, I heard the number of the army of horsemen were 200,000,000, and I heard the number of them, he says. Now, 200,000,000 is 200 million. And John says, I heard the number of them. Why does he say, I heard the number of them? Because when John wrote the book of Revelation, there were not even 200 million people living on the face of the whole world. And here yet, John says, he saw one army of 200 million. Now, some people like to think that this is talking about China. I know China has a a pretty big army, but uh, this is probably not China. This is probably another demonic invasion, uh, perhaps, again, being released from the abyss, uh, and they kill a lot of people, one-third of the people. Also interesting, according to Revelation 11 and 17, the Antichrist ascends out of the abyss. Now, I heard one commentator said he believed, based on this, that the Antichrist is Adolf Hitler. No, <laughs> Adolf Hitler is dead. He's in hell. He's, uh, he's not coming back. How does the Antichrist ascend out of the abyss? Well, remember, in the middle of the tribulation, what happens to the Antichrist? He, right, he, he's, he dies. He is killed. But then what happens? He is resurrected. He's raised back to life through satanic power. So what happens is when he is killed, he goes down to the abyss. We don't know how long he's there. But then through satanic power, he is raised back. And as he's raised back, he is coming. That's how he is coming out of the abyss. So the abyss is the temporary holding side for these uh, demonic spirits, demonic beings. A seventh term about the afterlife, Tartarus, also a very interesting term. It is found only one time in one place in the New Testament. Let's look at 2 Peter 2.4. In 2 Peter 2.4, he says, If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, that is the Greek word tataris, and it is not the same as hell. It is a special holding place for these specific angels that sinned. And when did they sin? Verse 5. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah. These are angels that sinned during the days of Noah, and they did a very specific sin. And we don't have time to get into all this, but uh, if you get Dr. Schauer's book on angels, he has a very good explanation on this. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 6, he talks about how the world has become very wicked, and he says that the Banim Elohim, the sons of God, came in unto the women, and they had... Uh, an illicit relationship with them uh, was some sort of of, uh, a sexual relationship where they bred these uh, uh, half-breed beings. And I agree with Dr. Showers that this was Satan's attempt to corrupt the seed of man to stop the coming of the Messiah. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, he said to the woman, your seed will bruise the head of the serpent. 
The serpent was Satan. Satan hears this prophecy. Wow, the seed of the woman is going to bruise my head. I've got to stop the seed. I've got to corrupt the seed. Because of that, God sends the flood. He has to wipe everybody out and start all over again with Noah and his family. So Tataris is a permanent place of confinement for the fallen angels that did this specific sin in the days of Noah. Well, an eighth term is hell. Let's talk a little bit about hell, the truth about hell. Did you know that there's a hell, Michigan? <laughs> Sorry, there is. <laughs> Just north of uh, Ann Arbor. You can go there, send a letter to somebody, have it postmarked from hell, and you know... <laughs> Hell is the same as Abaddon the pit. It is the unbeliever's side of Sheol or Hades. It does not include the abyss or Tartarus. And let me just say a word, <clears throat> and I'm sure many of you have heard of this uh, new book that has come out called Love Wins by the pastor up in Grand Rapids, Rob Bell. And uh, Steve wrote a really good article about Rob's book in the latest issue of Israel My Glory magazine. And I also found a, a really good, uh, just a short synopsis on it on the internet. I'd like to read this to you. Uh, this is by a guy named Kevin DeYoung, and he says, here's the gist. This is of Rob Bell's book. The gist of Bell's book, Love Wins, is hell is what we create for ourselves when we reject God's love. Hell is both a present reality for those who resist God and a future reality for those who die unready for God's love. Hell is what we make of heaven when we cannot accept the good news of God's forgiveness and mercy. But hell is not forever. God will have his way. How can his good purposes fail? Every sinner will turn to God and realize he has already been reconciled to God in this life or in their next. There will be no eternal conscious torment. God says no to injustice in the age to come, but he does uh, not pour out his wrath he certainly does not punish for eternity. In the end, love wins. So basically, uh, Rob Bell is saying in his book, yeah, there's a hell, but you know, people go there just for a short time and eventually God's love is going to rule out and win. Um, that is so contrary to the scripture, uh, and I'm sure I don't really have to convince you, but uh, my thinking is, <clears throat> is uh, I like to put it this way, and that is that if we're going to err, isn't it better to err on the side of caution? Uh, you know, if we tell people uh, you know, that hell is not eternal, and then it turns out it is, what do we say to them on judgment day? You know, oops, my bad, you know, sorry. No. But if we say that hell is eternal, and it turns out somehow, you know, we, we were wrong, well, hey, you know, no big deal. You know, everybody's going to heaven anyway. Better to err on the side of caution. So once again, to summarize the, the four compartments, and we've got to move right along here as my time's running out, a ninth term, Gehenna, from, comes from the Valley of Hinnon. This is when the, the kings in the Old Testament used to build great fires and sacrifice their children to the false gods. And there's 12 New Testament references, and it is eternal. It includes body and soul, is translated hell, but really Gehenna is not hell. Gehenna actually is the lake of fire. And there is a difference because at the end, hell is cast into the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20. Then we have uh, the lake of fire itself. 
Four scripture references, all of them in the book of Revelation. Chapters 19 and 20 is the eternal punishment of all lost men and fallen angels. It includes both body and soul and is the same as Gehenna. <clears throat> Revelation 14, 9 through 11, if any man worship the beast, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone forever and ever. Unquenchable fire from Mark, where the fire is not quenched. There's a place of weeping, Matthew 8, 12. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of outer darkness. It shall be cast into outer darkness. It is eternal, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. You'll be punished with everlasting destruction from the Lord, from the presence of the Lord. Notice it's everlasting destruction. It's not temporary, Mr. Bell. And let's uh, finish up by looking at uh, these last three terms that have to do with heaven. We'll, we'll end up on a good note. Three terms that speak about heaven, paradise, three New Testament references, is the place of uh, the boat of the righteous. It was Abraham's bosom, and it's uh, the same as the New Jerusalem. And then uh, as we look at heaven, 39 times, uh, there's a first, second, and third heaven that are talked about in Scripture. The first heaven is the atmosphere on the earth. Second heaven is space. Third heaven is the abode of God. Uh, it's where Paul and John were in the third heaven, where believers go when they die. The home of uh, all departed saints. <clears throat> and then finally, the 13th term used for life after death, the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21 and 22 gives a beautiful description of the New Jerusalem. The size is 12,000 furlongs, which is approximately 1,500 miles. It is a cube, streets of gold, gates of pearls, walls of jasper, precious stones, mansions, river of life, tree of life, no pain, sickness, death, and no sin. Here's one artist's rendition of the New Jerusalem. Here's one I found on the internet I thought was really neat, showing the different uh, foundation stones of the New Jerusalem. Isn't it, you know, that even does it, doesn't even do it justice, does it? It's just going to be unbelievable. And then this is a comparative size uh, of the New Jerusalem. If you were to put it over a map of America, that's the approximate size of the New Jerusalem. Now, think about this. <clears throat> Uh, Chicago is a pretty good-sized city, right? We've probably most of us have been to Chicago. And, you know, to drive from the top down to the bottom, it takes you about an hour or so. But, I mean, that's just a, a dot on the map there of the New Jerusalem. Now, here's the Sears Tower, or what they call the Willis Tower now in Chicago, 1,482 feet tall. But remember, the New Jerusalem is 1,500 miles long, wide, and tall. Can you imagine buildings in the New Jerusalem, not 1,500 feet tall, 1,500 miles tall? Levels, 1,500 miles high. You can put billions and billions and billions of people there in that city and have tons of room left over uh, to explore. Well, what a wonderful, glorious future of prophecies that we have to look forward to. And um, Steve, just come and close us out uh, for our song tonight.